0: You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast, and wherever you are in the world, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe, I'm the Lonely Diplomat, and you have pressed play on episode 56 of the Lonely Diplomat podcast. This podcast is proudly recorded, edited, and uploaded in Canberra, Australia's capital city, on the traditional country of the Ngunnawal people. And I humbly acknowledge and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And I also want to acknowledge and welcome all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and other First Nations peoples listening. If this is the first time you've pressed play or you've pressed play on The Lonely Diplomat podcast before, I want to remind you that there's this awesome website called thelonelydiplomat.com. There's links in the show notes, which will take you to a recently refreshed site That contains all this awesome content from this podcast blog and my book as well as all of the services that are designed to serve support challenge and inspire you as you live your diplomatic life and go about reconnecting with yourself and the world around you all of that is through the link in the show notes i want to check in with you really quickly before we get too far into this episode because this episode contains content that some of you may find disturbing. And I want to make sure that you are in a place right now, mentally, physically, emotionally, where you can sit with some uncomfortable concepts. Because if you can't right now, I invite you to press pause And come back at another time when you have that mental, emotional, or physical capacity to sit with some difficult topics of conversation. One of the things I also want to say, and there's a few messages before we get to Tanya. The internet teams absolutely throbs with parenting advice. Some very sensible, others maybe not so sensible. However the topic is approached, sometimes the way that parenting advice is delivered is delivered in a way where you want to click on it and you want to compare yourself and how you're parenting with other parents and the advice that's being given. And we can kind of do some competitive or comparative parenting where we say, oh, no, I don't do that. Like, oh, no, that's that silly advice. I already do that. All the way through to, oh God, I'm not a great parent because I'm not doing that. The intention of this content is not to bring up that kind of competitive, comparative parenting. This content is provided to you to inform you. So I invite you, in the context of that provision of information, please don't judge. Please don't judge yourself please don't judge others around you. Because the temptation is when we find things that we might not be doing awesomely as parents that we judge ourselves. And when one of the side effects of competitive or comparative parenting, comparative loneliness, competitive or comparative anything is that we always find ways that we lose. So rather than judging, I invite you to, to respond with curiosity if you are triggered or when you are triggered in this content with this content in this episode and positively triggered or negatively triggered i invite you to note it down and then when you have capacity get curious get curious about why you were triggered why did that light you up why did that burn you up why did it make you angry don't judge respond with curiosity because there's so much information in your in your response to being triggered and i'd hate to lose that by through the fog of judgment final point before we get to tanya tanya is the director of research and education services for tck training tanya is as you're about to hear one of the best people in the world to talk about the impact, the effect of this diplomatic life on our youngest diplomats. I want to be clear, I have no relationship with TCK training. I'm not endorsing nor advocating for their services. However, I do see synergies in the work that they do and how they do it and the provision of information to support families be they expat or diplomats, and their children, and how they do that, both what they do and how they do. Now, with all of that said, one last check to see that you're all going okay. Now, let's jump in have a chat with Tanya. Tanya Crossman, welcome to the Lonely Diplomat podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this.
0: (sighs) Me too. Me too. Um, And listener... What I will say, and I pretty much say this every time I have a guest on the Lonely Diplomat podcast for you, is that, well, Tanya and I had the best conversation beforehand. So, um, (laughs) we've laughed. We've done that whole, like, whole body pointing in agreement thing, like, full body pointing. (laughs) Full
1: body pointing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And... Tanya, you're also in Canberra on beautiful Ngunnawal country as well.
1: I am. Other side of the lake.
0: Well, well, you Boxer. know, we'll, we'll let that pass. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with Canberra, there is a lake in the middle and there's the north side, which is the good side, and then there's the south Box side. side. <laughs> <laughs> and for a city that's, you know, kind of small internationally, like that rivalry runs deep. Um <laughs> but the um but it is a warm afternoon here. Uh so what we'll say is that that full body pointing uh has really taken it out of us. It's uh it's 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 like this it's like you know this this sport level of activity, this full body pointing. Done
1: some, I've done our cardio for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Tanya, when you're not uh hanging out on the south side of canberra doing all of the south side things uh what what do you do like well first of all who are you what do you do and you know if you can come up with some something kind of pithy that explains everything in your life that has brought you to sit in this chair that you're in right now talking to us this afternoon
1: to sum up 40 years in, in 40 seconds is what we're going for, right? Okay, and I can do this. I can do this. Um, so I grew up mostly in Australia uh, with an IBM family, so we got moved around a few times. One of those moves took us overseas, and overseas meant I became a third culture kid. So uh, living outside my passport country as a child, coming back, being in a business family, we got Zero cultural support, no idea what, that there was this thing called a third culture kid, no idea what culture shock or re-entry, repatriation was. So when I went through those kind of difficult things, I just thought I was broken, <laughs> something wrong with me, I'm lazy, whatever. <clears throat> Ten years later, I'm mentoring uh, teenagers in Beijing where I'd gone because I went to study for a year and stayed for 10 and a half, as you do.
0: It has um, that effect, yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I I'm i working with these teenagers so I, and I hear about this word that culture kids, I get a book, I start reading up, and I'm like, oh, full body pointy. <laughs> That's what happened to me. <laughs> it was words, it was vocab for the experience I'd been through.
0: Yes. And
1: it's like, oh, I'm not weird. There's not something wrong with me. What I went through is completely normal in context. Uh, and I basically got hooked on doing this stuff and I've spent the last 17 years working with third culture kids, so the actual young people themselves and as they've grown into young adults, continuing to support them on that journey, working with parents, with um, communities, international schools, uh, sending agencies, so people who are sending families overseas and turning kids into third culture kids and a bit of everything. Wrote a book that came out in 2016. Uh, and became one of the sort of top ones in that general field of third culture kids I have another one that's hopefully coming out this year for australian TCKs specifically and then got into more research the last year i've been working for tck training which is a, a company based in the u.s but has staff from a few countries and living in a few countries um and i'm the director of research so i Surveys, do data analysis, write white papers and things like that. So really fun for my brain. <laughs> um, I get to sit around and talk about numbers of what we know on the experiences of people who grew up this way.
0: Yeah. I want to say how common it is that our... I'm trying to find another way of saying it because it's kind of like this buzzword and I have this sort of pathological uh, aversion to buzzwords right now. I'm, I'm a recovering bureaucrat. My life does not have to be buzzwords anymore, so I, I'm, I'm trying to not. But lived experience is this buzzword that gets applied to me a lot in, in what I do and how I do it. And I kind of make fun of it. It's like it's a fancy way of saying this happened to me and I've chosen to get curious about it and like that has fueled what has turned into a passion and that's sort of neatly encapsulated in lived experience i want to just sort of mark your introduction which was awesome by the way like if i'm giving points on introductions like that's that's top marks for you but i want to say that Right there, I want to just really acknowledge and, and honour, really, the courage that it's taken you to turn the thoughts and feelings of being broken and thinking that you were the only kid person ever in the history of TCKness, ever in the history of expat life to think these thoughts and feel these feelings mm. and the power listener, you might actually resonate with this the power that comes when you learn the words that summarize your experience
1: having vocabulary changes everything mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who hate labels for me the difference between a label and an identity is if someone tells you you're away and if you discover it. If someone says, you're a third culture kid, you're like this. Yeah. that That's yep. being labelled. Yeah. If you discover these experiences that you have in common with other people and, and you read these accounts and literature that is written for you, that's discovering an identity and that's unlocking something in you and that's creating community. Yeah. Right, so labels are really dehumanising. I've just but got chills. Entering into an identity, yeah, that that's community building. Yep, that's strengthening.
0: Yes, yes. Um, I would do a full body point right now, but I am exhausted. <laughs> um, no, I have to say the cooler has just kicked in. Um, so uh, this, yes, yes. I've never heard it expressed that way. But, like, my full body chills right now are telling me that that absolutely rings true.
1: It, so with, with the books that I write, I would say a third of the text is stories. Yeah. It's it's third culture kids telling their stories in their words. Um, so the first book I did close to 300 interviews and I had about 100 people quoted in the text of the book. Each one had a name and an age um and a little bit of bio information of like the countries that they'd lived in Mm -hmm. um the main reason their family went overseas were they a diplomat family a missionary family a business family like me they were with education whatever it was just to give a, a sense of range of where these different stories are coming from and what it meant was sometimes you'd have two stories next to each other that were saying virtually the same thing but completely different life experience yeah yeah. To try and say this is this is why this matters, right? It's not about what countries you've lived in or how many times you've moved. It's about this shared experience that we have. Um, the new book that we've just finished with the Australian TCK, same thing. I, uh, 17 years I've been doing this, I was stunned at how much validation I found yeah. <laughs> in this Australian TCK's book because it's not ever written about the Australian yeah. experience. Yeah. And yeah. so when people were talking about how disruptive it was to move during the middle of a school year and how it messed up, you know, I did this much of this grade and this grade. I went backwards six months and then I went backwards again and, you know, I ended yeah. up in this grade yeah. or that grade or it messed up, the, you know, I was so far behind in this and I'm like, ah, oh, that's what happened to me. 17 years after starting this work and I still get that feeling. Yeah. I mean, yep. it's powerful, right, yeah. that, that you're part of a community of people who get it
0: one of the things here that's coming up is about how humans connect and we connect through stories. Yeah. And one of the things that I loved about the words that you wrote and were published um, in early February uh, saying uh, under the the, the title that I gave it, um, how Diplo life can affect our kids. And, those stories, those little vignettes, um, if I wanted to be a bit fancy, um, are incredibly powerful words about this diplomatic life as experienced by our littlest and junior diplomats. Uh, unappointed, but appointed nonetheless. And how they experienced life through that prism of what their mum and or dad did. And for me, as a parent, as a parent of children who have lived the diplomatic life and still live the diplomatic life, I don't know about you, listener but so many many times in that, in a similar way to what Tanya was describing, I'm like, oh, good God, what have we done? Like, oh, what what have I done? What have we done? Um, And I just want to remind everyone of the disclaimer that I gave at the intro there about this being a place of, like, information, not judgment. And that, listener, applies to you (laughs) and just as much to me, not having, not sort of going, oh, like there was that birthday when they were four and I was racing out the door on their fourth birthdays because I had to go be in Hong Kong that night for a conference the next day. I cannot begin to tell you, listener, Tanya, how many times in my life that I wish that I was back at that fourth birthday. And said, you know what? Cathay Pacific has flights the next morning. I'm not that important. I don't have to be in Hong Kong tonight. I can go tomorrow. And I can give my kids an enormous hug and a kiss on their fourth birthdays to put them to bed. Rather than constantly looking at my watch during their birthday party going, is it time to leave yet? Is it time to leave yet? Is the driver there to pick me up, to take me to the airport so I can go and do my job? And still, (laughs) one of my kids saying to me, oh, dad, why do you have to go? Mm. And I so wish, I so wish that I had that strength to let work down rather than my four-year-old boys. I'm sure we all have stories like that. And I feel that it's possibly like it's time to connect to each other in a way that we often do anyway. But to leave, frankly, and I'm going to swear here, so kids, cover your ears or cover your mum and dad's ears if you're listening to this too. But I think it's time to, like, quietly put away on the shelf the bullshit that we tell ourselves about the importance of the work that we do at times when we need to show up for ourselves and for our families. Whether those families are actually, like, direct descendants or chosen families. A family is a family is a family. So I wanted to say, reiterate there, Tanya, the brilliance of what you shared because it recognised the human the human doing the job. Now, if that's not something that I've been setting out to do here at the Lonely Diplomat for the last four and a half years, then <laughs> like then then I don't know what else I need to do. But thank you, I have to say, for doing what you do and how you do it. It's yeah. Like as as a consumer of your of your words. Yeah. Thank you.
1: I I appreciate that so much because there is no point in writing books in running surveys in churning out blog posts if I'm not connecting on a human level yeah. and making yeah. people feel seen and known and empowered
0: because
1: yeah. if all I have is numbers and stories that make people go oh no but I don't give them anywhere to go with it then there's no point point. and there is a okay I say I've been doing this 17 years it was a massive shift for me about six seven years in when I started to recognise how unempowered, how helpless, how powerless, how anxiety and guilt-ridden so many of the expat parents around me felt. Mm. Part of it, I think, was I was getting old enough that more of my friends were parents than were college students because you know i was 21 when i moved to china let's let's be honest i was i was in the um, going out to bars all night crowd <laughs> I'm not in the parenting crowd um so that was that was part of what changed my awareness but recognizing that there were these disconnects with kids where kids felt misunderstood where kids felt um, a lack of emotional connection it wasn't because parents weren't doing their best it was because parents weren't equipped to do any better.
0: Yeah.
1: They were lacking knowledge that they needed or they were missing um, tools that they needed. They didn't have the support they needed from work or from the community around them. Um, and that really changed my focus. Yeah. And, and my focus became equipping and empowering parents um, and and working with sort of the the... Organisations that employ those parents um, to give them better tools.
0: I think one thing. One thing he is, and I, I just keep on thinking of the last conversation for the Lonely Diplomat podcast. So, what was that episode fifty-five with? Uh, Karina Lakerigue, um hi Karina if you're listening um, on supporting mums diplomatic mums and the work and the research that she's doing as part of her PhD and she had this beautiful line in there with a um, a reference to le petit prince the the little prince and how you know the, the little prince was lamenting how grown-ups, only seem to focus on things that can be counted, on the things that can be tallied and the numbers and things like that. And there's that beautiful line, and I've been finding myself using this all the time in coaching calls since, since that conversation, because it's beautiful. Saying things like, um, you know, a flower is still important. It can't be quantified, but it's, it's important to me, therefore it's important. And Karina had this line in this approach, which I think is, it's telling. It's telling in the f- sense that it's actually like very, very true, but also profoundly sad on another instance, is that the humans who are having these experiences can talk about the stories, can talk about the stories and, and share stories. And sometimes the sharing of stories, sharing of the right story of the right, the right person at the right time in the right place might affect change. But the thing that really affects change when we're working within government who rely on being accountable, hopefully if it's sound government and sound governance, being accountable to the taxpayer for spending the money that they give the government. And to do that, it's a whole lot easier to be accountable when the numbers stack up. And so we have this shoehorning potentially of the humans into statistics letting the statistics do the talking so the humans can get the support that's needed now i have some some issues with that but also i live in the real world and have used that argument many times in my career in the in the public service so in saying all of that The statistics we need to remember are real people. And Tanya, I want to bring in the statistics that you brought in, like you you, you mentioned in your blog post. And listener, if you've not read it, just be prepared right now. I'm going to say these very slowly and let this sink in. Tanya shared some statistics and i forget it's it's like diplo kids born after 1980 were the respondents um
1: so we have both before and after but i i think it's important to look at the ones who are the younger ones because that's who we're talking about right now
0: yes yes and so in this like there's i'm i'm kind of dancing around this because this is very this is real 28%, 2.8% 28%, eight percent of respondents, these are the children who live the diplomatic life. 28% reported experiencing physical abuse while living their diplomatic life. 28%. 27%. There's a lump in my throat. <laughs> 27% experienced sexual abuse. That's 27. One, in, like, a little over one in four. 60%, percent six zero, almost two-thirds experienced emotional abuse. one in two, experienced emotional neglect. Listener, fellow parent, person who's just listening because you're concerned about the children of diplomacy, HR people in our diplomatic agencies, Other listeners who have just pressed play. And my dear friend Tanya. This is the reason why I've called this podcast Our Kids Are Not Okay. Because our kids are not okay. Tanya, can you please explain where that data came from because knowing what I just said in terms of the little prints and that little setup story there are going to be some people in some agencies who go oh yes but and went to the school of public policy that if you don't like the result you question the methodology yes so I'm calling that bullshit out right now (laughs) I played that card many times so can you they explain? will be pleased
1: to know that there is a full methodology report available that they can look at, um, giving you the exact details of everything that went on. But here's here's the broad strokes for you. We surveyed 1,904 TCKs. Technically, we surveyed 2,400, but we accepted 1,904 responses into our data set. Um, threw out some because they were too young. We threw out some because they weren't complete, and we wanted to make sure every question we had, 1,904 responses to. Um, We went through them very carefully looking for any double ups, anything with the same person, even though there were, you know, things in place to make sure that didn't happen. There were no double ups. Um, And then we had asked them to talk about, you know, what, what took you overseas. Um, We had them list everything, but also to choose what's the primary reason. Uh, 107 said that diplomacy was the primary reason their family lived overseas. So these numbers come from those 107 out of the 1,904. Mm-hmm. Then we've divided them up by birth year as well. Yeah. One of the reasons I think it's really important to talk about the young diplomat kids is that their numbers are so much worse than the older ones. Their experiences are getting more difficult. Um, when we look at emotional abuse, The largest study... So these are all done using the ACE questionnaire, Adverse Childhood Experience Questionnaire, that's been used for decades around the world. Um, In our most recent white paper, we compare these levels to different countries, different places, not just TCKs. The biggest study done worldwide was the CDC Kaiser study in the US with 17,000 participants. They found that of this population of 17,000 Americans, 11% experienced emotional abuse from a member of their household. Overall... TCKs it was forty-four percent, so four times. Mm-hmm. Older diplomat kids, it was thirty-eight percent, and the younger diplomats it was sixty percent. It's not just the number of kids experiencing this, it's the huge discrepancy, right? Um, emotional neglect. Eleven percent in the CDC Kaiser study of Americans, thirty-nine percent of TCKs in general, 35% in older diplomat kids, 51% in our younger diplomat kids. But as we keep looking at all of our stats, there's something else I think is really important to look at and that's the incidence of mental illness. Research done about 10 years ago showed that international workers were two and a half times more likely to suffer anxiety and depression than were domestic workers. So these were scaled to be people doing the same kinds of jobs in the same kinds of companies, but in different countries, like Mm -hmm. either in their passport country or overseas. So two and a half times more likely to suffer mental illness. This held true across the board in our study of these TCKs that at least double the rate we expected to see um, compared to the CDC Kaiser study. So in the CDC Kaiser study, 19% of Americans said that there was mental illness... In their household, growing up, that includes depression, just mental illness generally, or a suicide attempt. Uh, That's among the adults that they're growing up in in the environment they're growing up in. Mm -hmm. Among the young diplomat kids, it was forty-two percent said that they were aware of mental illness in their household,
0: Mm.
1: which usually means their parents. Yep. So when we look at all of these stats. Emotional abuse and emotional neglect are sky high in these diplomat kids. However, those are also the most easy aces to affect change in through parental education. That is, parents can parent differently and have better results here. But if the parents, if half of the parents are experiencing depression or mental illness, of course they don't have the bandwidth to give their kids everything that they need emotionally.
0: Sorry, you just dropped out there.
1: Uh, If you're just clawing your way by, Hmm. if you're just getting through because your mental health is not in a good place, there's no way that you can give your kids all they need especially if your kids needs are higher because they're moving countries every couple of years and starting in a new school and their friends are moving away and so they're losing friends so their emotional needs are higher but your emotional reserves are lower i i look at these numbers and i don't see bad parents i see parents who are overstretched and don't have the resources they need
0: Mm. i really want to say like repeat that this is not listener this is not the result of bad parenting not having any of that crap here you parent listener and me are doing the best we can with what we've got to our circumstances No one intends, no one intends to damage emotionally or very few people. I'm going to say you, listener, do not intend to damage your children deliberately. And while there is a certain freedom in the maxim, like freedom to give ourselves grace as parents, in the maxim, no child, no one escapes childhood unscathed. You can have the best possible you know childhood give your best possible childhood to your kid and they're still going to be like something to talk about to a therapist in their adulthood like you know that's that's a given perhaps a very cynical way of giving ourselves grace, but I find it very like you know give gives me grace like well you know I'm going to screw you up anyway, so I may as well screw you up with this um, However, no one deliberately sets out to do this, but Tanya's point there. I think is really important. And it's an invitation, again for curiosity, not judgment, to consider your bandwidth. Tanya's doing the full body nod this time.
1: But <laughs> already this time I was like I'm trying to like ring it in because <laughs> you're you're so spot on.
0: Yeah, it's I don't want to say this directly to the listener. Um Dramatic understatement, it's tough. It is so tough. It is so tough. Living the diplomatic life and being where you are as a diplomat has perhaps come at like you're at the the, the, the point where you are now is because essentially you worked hard at school. You did well at school, you got into the right university, a good university, you did a good course at university, got good marks, got into potentially a graduate um, intake in your agency or otherwise got into your employing agency. And our employing agencies aren't easy to get into. They can select the finest of the crop. And you are the finest of the crop and you're well used to being the finest of the crop in most of the rooms, the classrooms, the lecture theatres, the boardrooms that you walk into. And you're getting to a point where, you know, you you know your stuff, you know how the bureaucracy works, you're getting some cricketing analogy here, you're getting some runs on the board, you're getting, like, you know, you're, you're making a difference, you think, you can point to things on your resume and you're like, yes, I'm making a difference, the relationship between my country and that country or the multilateral relationship between my country and, like, this agency is like, it rules, it rocks, and, I can point to part of that as me, but in case you haven't been aware for the last four and a half years I've been talking, it's like, this is relentless. And oftentimes, the reward for being awesome and doing great work is more work. (laughs) And you being you, and, you know, wanting to make a difference, wanting to live your life's dream... Like, you want to do the best you can. You want to do the best you can, and you're doing bloody awesomely. And then, if you can, the children come along and join you on this diplomatic life. And there's a whole topic in there about fertility while living the diplomatic life. Accessing fertility services in a third country um, and, you know, using like a fertility and, and, and like being in, like still having your career. Like this is complex human stuff that intersects with your job and a job that you love, a job that you worked hard to do, a job that you're awesome at and not for one moment do I presume that you want to disappoint anybody. Like, we don't want to disappoint anyone. We don't want to disappoint our friends, our colleagues, our, you know, our people in partner agencies, in host governments. We don't want to disappoint our boss. We don't want to disappoint the government. We don't want to disappoint. We, don't, like, we spend our life walking on eggshells not disappointing Not wanting to disappoint anyone.
1: Additional pressure because how you disappoint people can look different. You have to be a different person in so many of these different circumstances. Yes. Because what disappointment looks like culturally is so different. Yes. There's a lot of stress that goes with that.
0: Yes. Yes. And trying to disappoint in the right way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so very, again, dramatic understatement. It's a little surprising that so many of us feel overwhelmed. Lacking bandwidth, as Tanya has so eloquently said. Because that pressure is relentless. And we can find ourselves... Tanya, one of the things that I, I do in my loneliness work, like here at The Lonely Diplomat and at The Loneliness Guy, so whenever I hear about rates of depression and rates of anxiety... I begin to question, I I do question, why are we feeling so anxious? Why do we feel so depressed? And Johan Hari, he wrote a great book um, a few years ago. Name just escapes me. Listener, please yell at the the speaker um, if you've read it, um, because I'll hear it. But he talked about, like... Through his own lived experience of depression, he was lonely. He was lonely. He was, like, overwhelmed. He was lonely. He was trying to be the best person in the room. And that led him to make some pretty very public mistakes. But, like, underpinning all of this, I contend, is a taboo subject, which is loneliness. And if we're trying to be all things to everybody, including our children or the children in our lives, and we're absolutely tapped out that there's absolutely nothing left for us, it is little wonder that we have a physical, mental, emotional, and social malaise within us, within us as individuals and as a community, as a global diplomatic community. So I know, listener, I've lived the life. I know that it's tough. And I know that you're doing the best you can with what you've got. And the aim of this conversation, if it's not clear enough already, is to give you more information. Know better, do better.
1: You don't feel alone. You don't feel that you're the only one that's struggling with how to navigate all these things at the same time. And part of the reason that we chose to use adverse childhood experiences to look at what was going on with TCKs is that there is accompanying research into positive childhood experiences. How come some kids have a lot of these difficulties but have thriving adulthoods? Mm. right? So the researchers showed that if you have four or more out of 10 of these adverse childhood experiences, like emotional abuse, emotional neglect, um, mental illness in the adults in your household, then you are at much greater risk of a whole range of negative outcomes. But greater risk doesn't mean a guarantee. No. So these other researchers went, okay, so what's different in those who thrive? And they came up with this list of positive childhood experiences. So even if these difficult things are going on, putting these positive childhood experiences in place create this kind of buffer
0: mm. that mm.
1: help kids get through. And this is what resilience looks like. We always talk about, oh, kids are resilient. Well, no, resilience isn't automatic, mm. right? Resilience happens when kids go through something difficult with support. Yeah. If yeah. kids go through difficult things without support, it becomes fragility. So providing that support is what brings about the resilience which allows them to thrive. the sort of seven, it's really eight because the seventh one's kind of two different things. So out of eight, only three take place within the family at home. The other five take place in community. Part of the reason that we start to feel overwhelmed is that you can't do it all by yourself. Everyone needs their village. Everyone needs their community.
0: I'm just letting that sink in. <laughs> um, Tanya, you, you, like you were looking straight down the camera to that. So you were looking into my soul. Uh, and yeah, listener, I don't know about you, but I tend to think that in my awesomeness, I can do everything. I can be all things to everybody all of the time in just the way that they need it. Including myself. Of course, that's Crap. It's like individualised thinking that completely denies the fact that humans are social animals. We do need the community. We do need the village. Which kind of goes exactly to the point that I'm like, the diplomatic community is its own best source of support because we're the ones who get it. Now, to access that support, we need to actually get bloody real. (laughs) And I toned down... Word that I ended up using there, just so you know, <laughs> like I did mean a stronger word, right? But this, I think, in in Tanya, you raise a really good point. Like the that the buffer there is really important, and in in all of this, without doubt, this diplomatic life affords our children some wonderful opportunities in life. Getting to see, live in, not just visit, but live in, live amongst, be with children at school from other places in the world. Get to be in the host country for three years get to you know <laughs> just remember same you know our, our our children could natter away in vietnamese um to their nanny that a nanny and who didn't speak much english we got to the got to vietnam just after the boys were two and they were just kind of, yeah just before two and they were kind of beginning to string full sentences together in English, but they got to Vietnam at that linguistic point where they had their own little language between themselves, they could speak a bit of English to their parents, and then their nanny came in speaking Vietnamese. And so, yeah, I knew that they were, like, really um, getting it when they could switch to English with us, and then, when they wanted to conspire against us, they'd switch to each other in Vietnamese. But I didn't let on that I could <laughs> I could understand them some more. But yeah, like amazing, amazing! Like what an opportunity it is to to have like f- wire the synopses mm. in in that way, so they can learn a like incredibly complex tonal language, and like you know, like i'm so envious of their ability to to i've learned a lot of languages over my years but i'm like amazed at how people can just quickly switch but i want to say like you know they've seen some things they do some things they could never have done if we stayed here in canberra
1: and you know none of the research on the difficult things takes away from the positives no i do the work i do because I believe in how great this international life can be. I just want people to be aware of the sort of particular speed bumps associated with international yep. life so that we can do something about it, so that we can reap the benefits of all of these great things. Yep. Because, you know, the research I did for for my first book, 98% of the 754 TCKs I surveyed said they would not take back their experiences as if they could somewhere around 80%, 90% saying that they were thankful to be TCKs, they were glad for that experience. Um, even though, you know, they had mixed experiences, there were things that they found not so great, but, but the number who had positive experiences was so high, right? So when, so when I'm talking about these difficult experiences TCK have, it doesn't... <laughs> this is where I come in being the... Uh, Community for my, I'm a village for my sister. This is my nephew who's come in to show me his stuff.
0: (laughs) He's got what are they called? Chatterboxes.
1: Darling, because I'm still talking to my friend. (laughs)
0: Love it.
1: Or just pink hair. Pink hair, so he has to have pink hair. (laughs) No, all good. Well, like one of the pieces is, you know, they need to have two non-parent adults who take a genuine, genuine interest in them and I am that person for all of my nieces and nephews here.
0: You're providing such a good service.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's totally altruistic. I don't get anything else No, of
0: no, not at all. <laughs> but, yeah, like it is, I think it's important that we, like I, I, I say this a lot. And I get this response a lot when I talk about like the challenges of this diplomatic life. It's like, oh, yes, but we need to focus on the positive. Stop focusing only on the negative. Like, okay, fair enough. I can focus on the negative as well. But in this one, I think we really do need to emphasize that there are so many significant positives. So if, listener, you find yourself in a mental dark place berating yourself and replaying decisions that you made with the best of intentions, with the best of information that you had in the past, like know that kids are going to be okay.
1: And they'll be thankful for that experience. Yeah. You know, my research has shown that the vast majority are thankful for, and in my personal experience of working with uh, adult TCKs and families where they really did not would take back that experience, the 2% who would take back that experience, I believe that was related to family dysfunction rather than to the experience of being overseas. Yeah. And those are the parents who do not show up to podcasts like this and don't look into information. So if you're here and you're listening and you're interested and you want to do the best you can by your kids, then your kids are going to be okay.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: We're talking about ways to make the experience of international life better for you and your kids
0: that making things better serve serving supporting challenging and inspiring Tanya where do you reckon where do you reckon the line is between the um, between I guess the responsibility and duty of care of employing agencies and the parent, parents making the best decision for their family unit. Where's, where's there a line? Is there a well,
1: line? Well, to start with, I don't think it's a very clear line. I think there's a lot of overlap in it. Um, Put it this way. If the family had never gone overseas, this would not have been an issue. Mm. So in that respect, I think that sending agencies have a responsibility. If you know that you are putting children at risk because you've sent their parents to work overseas with them, then I think you have a duty of care responsibility to do something about mitigating that risk. Um, This is about waiting until there's a problem to fix. This is about preventive care because we know that these the potential problems can be resolved preventively we can prevent these problems by putting the pieces in place by making sure that parents have not just access to but are engaged in um, mental health support things like that Um, that means not just you know a briefing before they go when they don't realize how difficult things will be but you know checking in through their term of service um making resources very easily accessible not you have to go through three layers of bureaucracy to get access to a counselor you know make make it easy for people to access the services that will support them and and not just that make them the best possible healthy um employees they can be and families they can be long term mm. um so i do think there is a, a a duty of care responsibility if you're putting kids in harm's way which sending families overseas does yep um in terms of parents parents responsibility is how am i treating my kids how am i providing for my kids and one of the ways we provide for kids is emotionally when we look at the diplomat kids one of the things that is positive in their stats is diplomat kids had almost zero incidence of physical neglect diplomat kids knew that their physical needs would be taken care of they knew they'd have enough to eat they knew that have clothes they knew that someone would be able to take them to the doctor um compared to every other sector the diplomat sector did the best mm. in that area right? so we're providing for their physical needs we've got to up our game in providing for emotional needs yep and and that might mean doing some sort of parenting courses or or reading some books that are going to help you in your style because everyone's different find Mm. what works for you um and there's a huge range of tck resources out there so to better understand what their experience is like there's lots of picture books for experience to help them to go through and process it with them Mm. Uh, and also just understanding looking into these the pieces the positive childhood experiences going well which ones have we got in place and which ones haven't we um how can we make sure that You know they've got these consistent non-parent adults in their lives um that they've got peer groups where they feel supported and they feel belonging um that they've got community traditions that are continuing over time those things that are almost automatic when you don't live a globally mobile Mm. life but take just a little bit more thought and effort when you're changing cities or countries regularly
0: yeah I think that's really, really important, because sometimes when we are faced with some confronting information, not just in the living of this diplomatic life, but in the dip- in, in the living of life, once the information sinks in, we can look for, individually or collectively, someone, something to blame. It's this this fault. It's the parents' fault. It's the employing agency's fault. I don't think anyone's saying it's the child's fault um, at all. But you know, cover those bases too, perhaps. But one, I think it's really important that I underline this point that Tanya's making here, and you know, information is power information is awareness and with awareness comes choice and we can choose collectively individually within our employing agencies within our social groups within all the different ways that we find community as living the diplomatic life within our family units, we can choose to use this as a catalyst to do something different, to give something else a try in a way of showing up primarily for our children, whether again they're ours or within community, and also showing up for each other. And I've said this in the context of previous content on breaking up while on a diplomatic posting. And speaking of my own experience here, for those of you who might remember 2020, there was the um, game Among Us where, you know, there was a, a, a spaceship and all these little space people were running around doing tasks, but one was the murderer. The murderer. Uh, and you had to identify who the traitor was, and they got ejected into space. And that's a temp- terrible summa- uh, summation of that game. But um, when you when you leave diplomacy, like when a relationship ends, like you are essentially ejected from the support. and there is the line essentially it's like oh what, like from from our employing agencies this is a family matter it's not for us to to get into which i say i said back in 2020 and i maintain today it's a cheap cop out in a relationship between two people living the diplomatic life the employing agency is the third wheel all the time all the time, whether the employing agency says it is or it's not, it is. And in a similar way, the employing agency is the seat at the dining table that's set, but no one actually is physically there because like the, the employing agency is the reason that people are there. Yes, it's individual choice that families go to these places, go and live the diplomatic life. Yes, that goes to the blurriness of the line. But I don't think, to be fair, I don't think that there are many people in employing agencies who don't feel that they have a responsibility here. I do not for one moment feel that there's an abrogation of any duty and go, oh, well, like good luck to you. And from conversations that I've had over years, there is um, a willingness, and I'm getting to a point here, there's a willingness to provide that kind of support, both upstream before going on posting, and downstream, like, when something has happened, when there is a need to engage the support services. And I'll say this, listener, you have an obligation as well, when those services are offered upstream, of availing yourself to them. Because in a couple of different agencies, and I'm not going to name specific countries here, but there are commonalities here that the services are provided, upstream services are provided, but they're not accessed because everyone feels that it's not going to happen to them and their family. Now, those statistics say that odds are it's going to happen to your family.
1: And I think the hardest part about this is that the kind of services that we're talking about that are provided are largely about...
0: Oh, you just broke up at that bit. Are largely about...
1: Uh, the services we're talking about are largely preventive care. Yes. They are services that if they work, there's no problem.
0: Mm, mm, mm.
1: Right? But these numbers are showing that the problem is there. So get as much preventive care going as you can. Get as much parenting support as you can. Get as much mental health support as you can because these numbers show that the problem is rife, especially in this diplomatic community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tanya, one last question. Hmm. And I feel like we could talk about this for ages, and we are going to keep on. (laughs) Like, we're going to, if I ever come back down to the other side of the lake, we'll keep on talking. Um, (laughs) I think another coffee at the Arboretum, perhaps, but... um, halfway. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) with a view of the lake. Um, Sorry, non-Canberra people or non-Canberra familiar people, but uh, that's hilarious. Um, What is, in your view... i'll give something but also um uh but i'm really keen to hear your view what's one action from this podcast and from your blog post that you would encourage children parents and employing agencies to do what's the one one thing for each
1: thing to encourage children to do it comes because they feel like they don't have much agency when I interview diplomat kids so much of what they do they feel I am a representative I have to put on this face that becomes their culture so what I like to recommend to diplomat kids Find a space, find a person, find an art form, whatever it is where you can take off all your masks and be you. One diplomat kid I interviewed who came from a completely non-religious family, loved going to a Christian youth group because it was the one place that had zero to do with her parents, um, zero to do with other diplomat kids, where she's like, I can't fail youth group. Oh, so She found it the most relaxing place to be,
0: those words. which was
1: fascinating. Yeah, but, um, but that, find somewhere that you can't fail. Find something that is just yours. Uh, maybe it's drawing or it's writing poetry. Maybe it's a particular um, friend group or it's a coach of your soccer team, someone that you don't feel like you have to measure up for some place you can be something you can do that you can take off all the layers and find out who you are on the inside um that's the best thing you can do for yourself and for your future growth parents doing the work of being able to understand and express your own emotions so that you are comfortable with your kids emotions because one of the most important of these positive childhood experiences, especially when we're talking about emotional abuse and emotional neglect being really high, um, is for a child to be able to talk openly to a family member about feelings and feel heard, accepted, and supported to be able to do
0: you just broke up at that last phrase there
1: so one of those positive childhood experiences that's really important. Mm-hmm especially with emotional abuse and emotional neglect is being able to talk openly to a family member about feelings and feel heard accepted and supported yeah able to do that we've got to be comfortable with emotions ourselves Mm -hmm. if i'm not comfortable with my emotions i'll be uncomfortable with with a child's emotions yeah
0: yeah and the final one Mm
1: -hmm. sending agencies I would love to see sending agencies be clear about what services are for this is a preventive care service this is a you know a triage type service right this is a when you're in trouble service Mm -hmm. because if you don't explain what the problem is people are much less likely to access services so if you say hey we're just going to do a parenting workshop people will think well i don't have a problem with parenting so whatever
0: Oh, breaking up. Do
1: nope. you say... Sorry?
0: Can you start that one again, please?
1: Okay. Uh, from... Uh, okay. So, for so sending tri-
0: agencies? Yeah, triage services you you mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Um, for example, if a sending agency is putting on a parenting session and they just say, yep, we're doing a parenting thing, most people will go, oh, I, I'm not having any trouble with parenting, I don't need to go, but that doesn't really apply to me. But if instead you promote this as, we know that um, this job is really high stress and it can put pressure on your family. Here's a session on how to better show up for your family despite the hard work that you do or something like that. Frame it in such a way that you can see the preventive care element. It's not for people who are already having a problem. It's for everyone. Yeah. And then when you are providing services for people who are struggling, make it easy access so that people don't associate shame with it. Normalize seeking help.
0: <laughs> that is phenomenal advice. For me, imagine
1: for me, if they all did it, though. I know. I know. If Hard
0: to picture. <laughs> I <laughs> but know. I, but I, wish. I know. Well, you know, it's. I don't know if it's that far too much of a of a pipe dream, but it does uh, something that you did say then, Tanya, reminded me of some of the feedback that I often get, mm. and it goes to you know that how to market the service you know, as an information session, come and get some great tools, hints and tips and all that kind of stuff. And, and so people can see the the preventative and the care that's being put into this. The investment, like not just financial investment, but the emotional investment in the humans doing the job. But one of the things that I often get, and listener, if if you've ever responded to me, And you've said this, just know that I'm like, (laughs) this is for you. But I get, for the last four and a half years here, like, oh my God, your services, what you say and your services that you give are going to be so helpful for other people, for people when they're in, 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 in trouble or they need help, for those other people. To which I say, you are other people too. You're allowed to access the support that's now readily available. And you might not be entirely comfortable going to the counselling service provided by your agency. There are some disturbing media reports here in Australia where government agencies have been using those, which some of you have shared with me is your fear is a prevent, like you do not trust that the information that you share with a counsellor actually stays there. And the advice is in your best interests rather than your employer's best interests. Now, in the debate between perception and reality, that might not be fair, it might not be true, but if the perception's there, the perception is reality. So, we can have all of these kind of statements, these, these HR statements about how it's, it's confidential, it's private, but if the trust is not there, the trust is not there. I'll leave that there. But for me, my three, for the kids, speak up. Speak up. You might not have the words, and, and I doubt that there's going to be, like, you know, the, the, the demographics of the 10 and unders or like the the 14 and unders are, you know, a huge demographic of the Lonely Diplomat podcast listeners. But if you're in your late teens, like you might not have the words. You might not know how to say it. You might not know when to say it or speak up. There are people in your life who have your interests at heart but speak up. Tanya, your point about find somewhere to take off the masks, where were you? <laughs> where were you when I was experiencing loneliness on a diplomatic posting and like I was buckling under the weight of all the masks that I was wearing and could did not have a place, it felt like, where I could take the masks off. And it felt to me as if everybody in my life that I'd ever encountered was relating to the masks and they were because I was keeping the masks on and I was terrified of taking them off because I was felt like a shriveled little person inside myself so that that got me right right in in here and like there was a little tear I'll, I'll admit parents my advice to parents and it's oft said in coaching, but I feel as diplomats, people who get on planes, this will appeal. This will speak to you. You need to put your own mask on before you help others. So, in a way, to what uh, to what Tanya said, you need to be emotionally well, not. No, you don't need to be emotionally well. You need to realize that you have physical, that as a human, you have physical, mental, emotional, and social needs. And wellness, as loaded a term as that is, requires you to not only be smart, but also to be at least aware of your emotions. It requires you to have connection to yourself, to those most important to you, and to your communities. That's social health. You need to be able to move about in your body. That's physical health. If you cannot, if you're showing up for everybody else in your life, including your employer, Those who rely on you are getting nothing. Or get essentially what's left. Not nothing, they get what's left. And then when you have finished giving what's left, you've got nothing for yourself. And if you can't show up for yourself, you cannot show up for others. And when I say that to people in the depths of a loneliness experience, One of the things that I hear most often, and I'm going to say this right now because I won't have this, is that, yeah, but I don't want to be selfish or words to the effect. It's like, I'm sorry, what you're doing, like your current mode is selfish. There's nothing selfish about attending to your needs first. So you can then show up in all of your beautiful awesomeness afterwards. And sometimes your employer needs to get what's left. You need to give yourself what you need first. The people who rely on you need to get what's next. And your employer is a grown-up. And I said this to someone who I had a, a coaching call this morning. It's like, really? Really? Your child relies on you. That had a big week the week before and were pulled from pillar to post. Had a big week the week before. And there's power in the words momento mori. I'm not often citing Latin, but remember you die. This ends. I pretty much guarantee that when you're on your deathbed, it's hard to not engage in hyperbole in this one, but it's true. When you're on your deathbed, your boss is not going to be there going, thank you so much for sending that email after hours. I really do appreciate it. You do good work. Thank you so much. You know, all the best to you. Frankly, bluntly, you're going to be not long in the ground or not long soon departed and someone will be doing your job. There are people in your life who rely on you. sorry for getting morbid there but sometimes the cold hard dead fish of reality slapped around your head is exactly what you needed to get you uncomfortable enough to take some action and then employing agencies get involved get involved don't simply say get visibly involved all the time I've heard it and again really blunt I apologize but communicate until you vomit Because you might think you're doing great on the communication. You might have all of the inspirational HRE posters that are in kitchens all around the world. But it all like it pretty much needs to be in your face. Keep going though, keep going. Have the best intentions in mind. As I know that you do, as we all do. Keep trying, keep failing. Show up and give. Continue to give all the options, but show up. Be present. That was that was heavy, Tanya. Deep. Yeah. Have you got anything that you wanted to to say to 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 wrap up?
1: a reason i've been doing this for 17 years and and the reason is not that this is the best paying or the most prestigious job in the world for sure (laughs) balance can can tell that to you um it's because every time i see that light bulb moment of someone who gets it Mm. else has that moment of it's not just me yeah you know, I remember getting the beta reading back from the first book, and, and all of these adult TCKs being like, "You mean I'm not the only one? Someone else said the same thing that I feel. You mean there's other people like me?" Um, the number of of parents I've worked with, where they're at their wits end, they're just drowning in guilt and anxiety about how their kids are going to turn out. Like sitting in someone's kitchen while she sobs because she sees the pain her sixth grader is going through because for the third year in a row, her best friend is moving away. She's like, we chose this for her. Yeah. What have I done to my child, right? By the way, that that sixth grader is now off in uni and and is fine. I think that's it, right? These numbers aren't just numbers, they're stories. And I have listened to hundreds, if not thousands of stories at this point. And the vast majority love their overseas lives, love their families. I want every person who I'm talking to who hears this to feel hope that life gets better, that they can show up for themselves and for their families that no matter where they are in this journey, if they've never had kids, if their kids are little, if their kids are stubborn teenagers who slam doors in their faces, I was guilty of that, can I just say. Um,
0: Excellent indoor slamming. My door was slamming door.
1: It didn't actually slam, so I had to gently open it, gently close it, and then kick it to, to get the real effect.
0: <laughs> it's good. good and if your
1: kids are out of the house by now, it doesn't matter where you yeah. are in, in this journey, there are things you can do. To improve your relationship with yourself and with your kids, um, there are things you can do to support other families who are living this life. Um, and I just, yes, it's heavy content we're talking about, but the bottom line is hope. Hmm. We named our first white paper Caution and Hope because that's really what it is. The numbers we're looking at are, are not a guarantee of disaster, they're a caution. There's hope because we know that there are things we can do to preventively care for families so that you don't have to be alone. You don't have to be overwhelmed. There are tools to equip you. There are so many books and resources and things out there that will tell the story that you're feeling.
0: I I love that. Hope is so powerful. And I'm reminded of the fable of Pandora's box, where, you know, it's like, do I open it, do I open it, I'm scared, but I, like, it's the siren call, we open it and all the bad stuff comes out, that's like what sitting with your loneliness feels like, by the way, too, and listening to it, because at the bottom of Pandora's box is hope is hope. And I really want to say, awesome listener, like, be kind to yourself. If you're like me, sitting through, like, at the benefit of asking the questions and engaging in the conversation, you're probably sitting there wringing a tissue between your hands right now or, or like, shaking a fist at the speaker or something like that. I don't know. But... I'm going to tell you what I'm telling myself right now. Be kind. Be kind to yourself. You're doing the very best you can with what you've got, with the information that, you've, that you have that you to hand. And please give yourself the same grace, if not more grace, that if another parent came to you And was telling, talking about this. And you were offering them support. Give yourself the same grace. I'm trying to give myself the same grace too. But yeah. At the bottom of all of this is hope. What a beautiful way to end this fantastic conversation, Tanya. Just thank you for doing what you do. Thank you again for the courage that it took you to say, you know what, I want to do this. And the courage it continues to take to do this work in the service of the global expat community and the global diplomatic community. Just profound, profound thank you.
1: for uh, letting me sit and talk about this with you it's been great
0: <laughs> tanya crossman until next time because i've got a feeling that we'll be talking again take good care uh and um listener i'll speak to you in just a moment listener that was something wasn't it that was quite the conversation i want to do two things i want to thank tanya again for sharing her wisdom her insight and her invaluable knowledge so freely with us here in this episode and in the blog post and I also want to check in with you how are you right now how do you feel like what's going on within you if you're struggling right now if you're finding it hard to put into words what you're thinking and feeling that's okay remember please respond in the first instance with curiosity don't judge yourself well It's easy to say don't judge yourself, but when you catch yourself in in self-judgment perhaps, respond with curiosity. And if you need support doing that, please reach out to me, reach out to a counsellor, reach out to a therapist, reach out to a friend, reach out to your partner, reach out to someone who you know will listen to you and respond with empathy. Because you never have to deal with tough concepts alone. That's it for this episode. Be sure to check out thelonelydiplomat.com again for all of the content, all the blog, podcast, details of my book, and all my services designed to serve, support, challenge, and inspire you as you live your diplomatic life. If you've got any feedback for me on this episode or any of the previous episodes of The Lonely Diplomat podcast, please reach out to me on socials or send me an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. Thank you again for joining me and Tanya for this episode. It does sound like you're getting ready to go. So until next time, be awesomely and humanly you, because the world really does need more you. All sounds used are freeware in the public domain. All views expressed in this episode are my own and do not reflect any official position. I am not a licensed mental health professional. I encourage you to seek the services of a licensed mental health professional if the content of this episode challenged you beyond your current capacity to mentally, emotionally, and or physically respond yourself. Thanks for listening.